Well, good morning. It's a real joy to be here with you this morning and uh, worship together with you. I've been blessed and challenged and uh, inspired to be here with you. And uh, so, yes, I am. Well, I'll say it this way. Sarah is my big sister who's still little. And <laughs> she's five years older than me, and there's three of us. So I'm the youngest. In fact, um, I'm told, I don't remember this, but um, because of the physical condition of my mother, uh, Sarah carried me around most of uh, till I could walk, uh, at least after I was a couple weeks old. So thank you for doing that. Um, so yes, we, we live in Colombia. We went to Colombia seven years ago and we came back for a short trip, uh, a week ago, about a week ago. And we plan to be here a total of almost two and a half, three weeks. Um, my wife's family is from Virginia, Floyd County, Virginia, uh, if you ever travel down Interstate 81 and then get on 77 uh, down the southern corner, well, it actually keeps on going out a good ways, but southwestern Virginia. Um, and it's not really where they are, but it's within 45 minutes of there. Um, and actually, uh, we would consider that, it, I'm not sure where we're from on the state side because um, but that's sort of what we consider our home, uh, stateside. We only lived there a couple months since we were married. Most of our married life we lived in Georgia. So, Columbia. Um, I want to share, I was asked to share a little bit about our work there. But uh, also, I would like to, I'd like this to be an inspiration, a challenge, an inspiration to all of us, including myself. Um, and, and look at some scriptures and some, some things maybe related that would, could tie into our, our, some of the, the, the story of, of what, uh, we're trying to be involved in. But first of all, um, maybe, maybe somebody could tell me where South, uh, whoops. <laughs> so Colombia is in South America, right? Does anybody know if, we'll ask the question this way, is it in the northern part of South America or the southern part of South America? And it's not in Central America. Northern, thank you. So, if it's okay uh, to see, yes. So, now we said it's in South America. So... um I'm not sure if that looks a little bit like South America. And this is Panama. And so Colombia, this isn't quite right, but it will work. So Colombia comes over and Ecuador is in here. Peru comes up and around here. And there's a little part of Colombia that's really bad. But it gives you an idea. When you look on a map and you see a true drawing of what Colombia looks like, you'll find Leticia. It's actually in this corner in the most southern part of Colombia you can get to. And that's what we call, what we call home. Um, in fact, 
it's sort of interesting because um, we are within, depends whether what the water is up or down, but when the water is up, we're within one to 200 yards of the Amazon River, which is the border between Colombia and Peru for a short section. And then we have a land border with um, Brazil. And that's all open. It's actually sort of a uh, an island in the middle of the jungle because the roads, you can't drive anywhere into the interior of Colombia. You can't drive into the interior of Brazil. You can't, you can drive somewhat into the interior of Peru, but you travel by water if you go anywhere. And if you go into the interior of Colombia, you travel by air. Um, well, actually you can, you can uh, travel by water for two months. And you'll get there. Hopefully. So, just just briefly, um, I mentioned about being in Colombia seven years. Uh, two of those years, two years ago is when we moved to that part of Colombia. Five years, the first five years we were working with a, uh, a church plant in the middle to north part of Colombia. So, I, I hope that, and I, I'm, I'm supposing that I'm talking to kingdom workers this morning, and that you are in a part of, of kingdom building in God's kingdom, and maybe, maybe it's in this area, maybe it's in other areas, far or close, but each one of us has a responsibility to be busy about God's work in the people, relating to the people that God brings into our lives. And we're just supposed to be a small part of that. Big picture. And, and that's our goal as a family. And that's also a recognition of some of the things that I want to look at this morning. These are things, some of the things I want to look at this morning. I don't have a very, I don't really have an outline. Um, but I do want to look at some principles in Scripture. These are things that that are are our goal, and we don't always do it perfectly. But as you look at Scripture, you have to say how it is, and that's where we're going. And I don't want to soften that uh, for you or for myself. Um, and and uh, so I want to look at Scripture in that context. Before we go any further, let's just bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank You for how You have been here this morning. And we want You to continue to be here. We invite You, Father, that there would be Your work done in our hearts this morning. Speak to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may turn to 1 John 4. I'm, I'm actually going to do something that you're not, I, I don't think is a good idea, but I don't think it does injustice to read a part of a verse or even a verse um, without reading the whole context. I'm going to want to do that this morning. Um, many years ago, well, it wasn't so many years ago, but a number of years ago, um, somebody pointed out that who should we be as a church, as the church as Christ's bride, who should we be and what should we represent? Um, and I thought of that also as a personal 
uh, sense as a, and also in a family sense. Um, and as a, in the sense of a congregation or as a church. First John 4, 17. And we'll just read the whole verse. Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because, and here's the part I want you to focus on. Because as He is, so are we in this world. And if there's any, any, uh, like, like motto or, or almost title of our thoughts this morning to center our thoughts around, I would like it to be that. Because as He is, so are we in this world. And so that's your job and that's my job. Christ, being here on earth, and we read about that in the Gospels and things that He did, and the way that He reached out to touch people. And, and we talked about eternal life this morning. Uh, uh, one of the... One of the fav- one of my favorite verses that was read this morning, John uh, 17, verse 3, about knowing God, and that's where eternal life starts. And so it starts today, in your heart and in my heart. How can we become, as He is, so am I in this world? And I'm not really going to expound on that, and I trust that that's the journey of your life, as, and of your family, and of your church. To, to seek to be as Christ, as Christ's representative to the people that you relate to. We make mistakes. And sometimes we choose the wrong method or the wrong missiology or the wrong idea of how we're going to accomplish this, this uh, project in a part of Christ's kingdom but some of that becomes very a small issue when we come back and say well as christ responds to this situation i'm going to respond in that way and and then it comes close home and you don't know me very well and so i have my thoughts when i say this it's it's the goal of my life that even my wife and my children can say that as Christ is, so is He in this world. Growing into His likeness. And I want to come back to that. And, and sort of end our thoughts this morning expounding a little bit more on that, what that could look like. <clears throat> and like I said this morning, I want, I want to leave, leave thoughts with you, inspire you. Um, you know, the work that we're involved in in Colombia is, is uh, we're connected with All Nations Bible Translations. And... We started focusing on Colombia about 10 years ago because we understood that there were partial translations that were incomplete in indigenous languages in Colombia. What happened, we, everybody, when you think of Colombia, you think of drugs, you think of guerrillas, um, political unrest. Some of that has always been true, and it still is today. In fact, there's probably more drugs produced um, 
per year now than there has been uh, most of the history of Colombia. The gorilla activity is is definitely less, but it's changed to where most of the gorillas are are part of the drug mafia, and they fight each other to control that, and not so much fighting for an ideology like they would have started. There's definitely parts of Colombia that are very dangerous, and then there's definitely parts of Colombia that are probably as safe as Schaeferstown, Pennsylvania. In fact, the only armed robbery that I ever experienced in my whole life was in one of the quietest towns in Georgia, United States. So, translation. So, probably around the mid-90s, there were many, well, the early 90s, the late 80s, there were, I, I think, literally hundred or more teams of people working in Colombia. And there has been up to or over a hundred indigenous languages in Colombia. Uh, that number is going down because some of those languages are have died. And the people have integrated into the uh, general population of Colombia. I think this will come up here a little bit. What I actually want to do is share with you some thoughts um, that that I shared a number of months ago with with some uh, some of the All Nations group, uh, a board, etc., as we were trying to process what exists in Colombia. Um, the fact is, there's still, there are still uncontacted people in Colombia. Now, it's a little hard to believe because you go as far back in as as I have ever been, um, and there's almost everything you could imagine that would go with a far back in hut. But obviously, and you've heard it all, I'm sure, they have a cell phone. And they might not have service, but they have a cell phone. But they might sometimes be able to go somewhere where they can connect to service. But there are many places where it's surprising where at least a little bit of cell phone service trickles in. Um, definitely not the kind of cell phone service be used to around here. But as we looked at Colombia, and, and, and I should say this, I guess, um, some of the survey work that we did in Colombia, uh, I was involved in, and also another brother uh, spearheaded a lot of that. His name was Matthew Moorhart, and we actually visited with almost every missionary organization in Colombia and and traveled extensively throughout Colombia just to try to understand what the situation really was. And a lot of information that you can find is dated. And so if you really want good information, you have to go to where it actually is. So we said there are uncontacted people there's probably actually four to six groups in Colombia just north of us 
in the Amazon department. So this at the very bottom, like I said, it's just a, a bad map, but this in here is, is the Amazon department, Amazonas. And one of the reasons why we moved there is because we have semi-regular, well, yeah, regular contact with full-blooded indigenous people, but it's also a tourist town. And, and at first I didn't like that, but it's actually to our advantage because it, allow, it makes it more possible for foreigners to come in and not be noticed immediately. It gives them a chance to learn Spanish. You're going to have to learn Spanish no matter if you're going to translate into an indigenous language or not. Learn Spanish. Start to understand how to live and act in a foreign world, especially or particularly in the, in the country of Colombia, and, and be somewhat unnoticed until you can work at, at becoming more, uh, more culturally aware and still have contact with indigenous people. There's actually no other place in Colombia that I know of that, that fits that role so well. Um, but what is in Colombia? So these isolated groups and, and isolated, um, these isolated groups are protected by government, you cannot go in there without getting into trouble with the law, or at least going against the law. Um, they're protected by anthropologists. And along with that, all the non-profit organizations that would view these people groups almost as a rare species that should not go extinct. And if they lose their culture, there's been information lost to humanity that is very valuable. And so they are protecting that against evangelism. Supposedly, it's supposed to also protect natural resources. But the way money works and flows, it doesn't work very well. And they come in anyway. But all that to say, and it's also true that these isolated people probably don't want to be contacted by definitely not the white man and not necessarily even by some other indigenous people. Um, their history is very, very difficult. There's actually probably the reason why these groups are up here instead of along the Amazon River is because when the rubber trade between, I'm going to just say this approximately, 40 to 80 years ago, maybe 50 to 100, the, the, the workers, the, the traders and then actually the workers, they would enslave the indigenous people. And if they didn't cooperate, they were very, very brutal. And we read American history in North America and the United States. Uh, of similar things. I'm not sure how to compare it, but it was some very, very bad stories. And so these people, it appears as though they ran away from that and tried to hide themselves deeper, uh, well, at least further away from the river access. I don't know if I'm going to come back to this, so I'm going to insert this. So often a question would arise, 
how could you know there's more than one group if you've never seen them? So I'll just say quickly, and this is just one illustration. It's not necessarily the only illustration. But I've talked to some people. I've actually talked to a man who, who went in there as recently as three or four years ago. And he was saying that, for example, indigenous person, when they walk through a thick forest, they'll bend their, uh, like a, think of something like, well, a sugarcane stalk or, or a really, a, a corn, a corn stalk, let's say that, and bend it every three meters or three yards a certain direction so you can always find your way back. So that'd be one illustration of a trail marker. And neighboring communities or tribal groups that have separate identities will have a different type of trail marker. So you see a trail marker and you say, okay, here's a group. And you go and they're probably hiding themselves. You go somewhere else and you see a different trail marker. So there's indications like that. It's just one little illustration. There's probably better illustrations, but that that's one illustration. Um but as we looked at all of that and we looked at Colombia and we've talked with people, it became more and more apparent that the isolated are unreachable by traditional mission strategies. They're unreachable. And there's a reason why they haven't been already um, worked with. So that brings us to a second group that just kind of bunched together as misreached, partially reached, or barely reached. So an indigenous person in Colombia that is, shall we say, contactable, or you could contact him, or you could draw, you could, you could um, travel to him, which by the way, travel almost always involves air travel, sometimes vehicle travel, Boat travel and foot travel in the same trip. Fly as close as you can and boat as close as you can and walk until you get there. When these indigenous people already have a preconceived idea of a foreigner, of who you might be, even if they've never seen a foreigner, which is semi-unlikely because there's been tourists, there's been anthropologists, there's been Jehovah's Witnesses, there's been Mormons, there have been cults, local cults that I don't know how to translate into something that I knew about before, um, but strange cults that find themselves into these remote areas. And it's really sad because it's it's really confusing because to a to a person that has little to no contact with the outside world, there's no difference between you and me, a Catholic, a Mormon, a Jehovah's Witness, pretty much any religion that's not an animistic religion. They don't know the difference. And this is all a big, how should I, how should I say it? Um, scattered, 
scattered um, effects from all these different people that have, you know, everything from an anthropologist to a missionary to a Catholic, etc., have left their little prints close by. And these people are picking up these things. They definitely have a preconceived idea of that, along with the fact that in our general area, there have been many missionaries that have come and then left. Um, and, ha- and, and there's been a few that have stuck there for 20, 30 years, but, but even in the, like, uh, yeah. So that, that has had its impact somewhat negatively. But we already mentioned about Catholicism. It's amazing you go back, way back in. There's a little Catholic church in the middle of a community of, of, uh, indigenous people. So there's this, this kind of strange mixture of traditional identity along with a, an understanding of what the outside world might be like. Um, there is definitely indigenous people that are losing their language somewhat, at least in general, you know, commercial, your basic needs of life, some of the more physical, concrete things. There's a certain amount of acclimation to that, but there is that thing to retain to the, especially the spiritual side of life, you retain your indigenous language, your native mother tongue, even for those things. And there's sort of that that mixture of animistic way of thinking that it's amazing how it comes through. But I, I somebody said this, and he actually wasn't a Christian. It was just looking at cultural things. He said they've they're they're not going back to where they were before white man ever showed up, but they haven't really left either. And that really affects how you're going to present the gospel to these people. So, thinking about how to present the gospel, um, there's sort of this romantic idea of a Bible translation that I would have probably had at one point in my life, where you go to a place where you want to go to, to the least reached. You want to go to where maybe people have never heard the gospel before. Um <clears throat> And try to start with supposedly a clean slate, which it actually doesn't exist. But in Colombia, and, and they say in Brazil, we, we've related a lot to Brazil too, but in the last couple months our focus has really shifted back into Colombia because of the context that God has brought into our lives. But... <clears throat> To bring the gospel to these people in a way that they don't mix it and tie it into their already existing way of thinking is something that needs to be contemplated, along with the fact that that has already happened to anybody, Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Catholicism, all these strange mixtures of, of not true 
gospel is already somewhat, they're somewhat aware of that. Um, along with just the whole thing of dependency issues, um, the government has many, many, many welfare programs for indigenous people. Many missionaries have come down and threw gifts out and turned around and went back. And that's just what you might do. And so they become, they come to expect that. Uh, in a sense, some of the contact has already made, or the contact with outsiders has made the indigenous man poor. And I think you can understand that. No longer has the motivation to meet his own needs or work in the same way as he did before. I remember of, of a story of a man that after he had access to a motorboat, um, he couldn't, okay, he had access to it. They were used to going a certain distance to do fishing where fishing was good. Either the engine broke or they ran out of fuel. And so he couldn't get there anymore when he used to paddle there all the time. It happens to us too. But you can imagine, how, how does that play out? Um, if somebody's going to, to, to think about how to, to live in that situation. Um, so yeah, development and progress has been a real challenge for indigenous people and affects, even affects the receptiveness, receptiveness to the gospel and the message bearer. So, I'm gonna bring all that together. I said that there's, so as we look at the, the least reached, the un, or let's say the isolated groups, they're, we can't get there by the traditional methods. We can't just go and and hope that in three years we can get a contact, invite us in there. We'll go spend 25 years there ourselves as white man in the same way that uh, we stories of, uh, well, I don't know who you would know, but, but stories like that. Um, so how can we get there? So... I want to I want to bring that to bring us to this point that we've really spent a lot of time thinking about in the last year or two is and, and really it's it's the goal of of any mission uh, it's just that maybe sometimes we're not as proactive about it as we should be but called what what somebody else called we're borrowing the term from them the edge principle <laughs> the edge principle so we think about mission work and at this point, so let me back up. You could say, well, I want those people to hear the gospel and we're going to be like Peter and we're going to obey God rather than man. So we're going to go in there and and if the, it could be a really good thing, it could be God would use that. But at the same time, I think it behooves us to think very wisely, how can we think of a long-term way to get to these places in a way that could actually work and not create a situation where suddenly you can't even work where you used to be able to work. Um, now, I want to be careful with human reasoning and God and His movings in man's heart, but we need to be wise and we need to be listening and just simply do what the Scripture says no matter what the world around us says. Edge principle. So the thought of the edge principle is to go as far as you can go and work with either if you find some believers that are willing to be discipled further or converts that you can disciple 
to where they can just push the edge further and just keep getting as close as you can. Um, and in the, in the midst of all that, just keep on working in people's lives and doing kingdom advancement. Rather than saying we're going to drop everything, we're going to just go and try to try to um, negotiate with the park ranger that's around us. They actually supposedly have uh, park rangers around these reserves back in the jungle. Now there's miles and miles between each each one, and and some of what happened a couple years ago um, was that they actually got reported rather than the fact that somebody a park ranger showed up and found them in there and, and got them out. So there's some of that too. But the edge principle. So, and really that's what all of our churches should be about, right? Discipling disciplers. People that can keep going further. And, and the reality is that in places like Columbia, um, even if some of us manage to get our Colombian nationality um, we still walk around in the bodies that we were born with. And, and you're marked that way. Um, and so thinking about how to work with people who can go to these places much easier than what you can, or at least um, to where you could maybe go with them or under their cover. Um, there's, there's many different things that could happen. Um, but that's the edge principle. Work as close to the edge as you can and then help that edge to go further. Um, So I think what I want to say next is simply that as we think about some of those things that we've talked about, and there's obviously more that we could talk about, but our our family's focus is obviously we, we relate to 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 people, our neighbors, and even if they're not pure indigenous people, Bible studies with those people, um, especially one man, if, if you... If any of you have a little empty space in your, your prayer list, you could write down Santos. Uh, Santos Hill. Um, been, he's an old gentleman that's been involved in many different, many different, um, yeah, drug related activities, etc. And, and, uh, been, been studying the Bible together. He made a commitment, um, to Christ along that journey. And what we do is, no matter if they're animistic in their their thinking or if they're they've been going to church for a while, we start with creation to Christ. Have you ever heard of creation to Christ concept? And um, wonderful. I think it's I think it's an excellent thing. It's actually something that we go through with our children. Um, and and you can do your own curriculum. I mean, you don't have to go by somebody's curriculum. Do a, a creation to Christ. Start with, with the foundational principles. And instead of just saying, hey, you know what, you are, you are, you need Jesus in your life. And, and I'm, I know you're familiar with that concept, but, uh, that's, and, and that's what we, what we do. And, um, so we're involved with people's lives in that sense. But also, our rule in ABT is not a very, it's not like we have a name. 
for that, but we're not translators. We're not envisioning that our family would go translate the scripture for a particular people group. Um, and more recently, there have been a number of people that come into the All Nations Bible Translation Circles that have been focused on community development. Uh, you know, like, what's community development? Well, you know, maybe somebody needs clean water. Our community needs clean water. The big thing in Colombia is, what are alternative ways to produce an income for your family other than growing drugs? And how can you help a group, a uh, community, develop a, a, a new commercial, you know, uh, something related to growing a different kind of, of food or something? Um, better farming practices, for example. All right, so what do we do? Um, the big thing is probably just keeping contacts alive for other teams to come and connect with those contacts to get more quickly back to the indigenous people groups that they're in, that they are going to relate to. So currently, there's the Matthew Moorhart family that is serving in Mitu, which is just north of us, um, but you can't actually fly there from Leticia directly. You have to fly the whole way up to Bogota and then across. But we, um, we feel like they're not very far away, and we're very excited about what they're doing. Uh, they spent in the neighborhood of a year or two with our family on two different occasions um, and used that time to just really focus on getting Spanish very good uh, as a whole family, not just dad, but the whole family. And uh, things like visas um, and, yeah, just just cultural understanding of how to live in Colombia. So there's definitely three three cultures when you deal with a North American. It's my culture, Colombian culture, and the indigenous culture. The Colombian culture um, and the indigenous culture are two very different things, and you really have to know them both. So our role in relation to that is to help create, say, a landing spot where teams like that can come and we can help them to to find a Spanish teacher the day after they want it and and, and start learning Spanish and, and, you know, even like logistical issues. So that's the one thing. The second thing I think I'd said briefly was keeping contacts alive. So there's a, there's a group called Tanimuka that's north of us that has a partial translation and it's kind of on our radar, uh, for a team that hopefully in the next foreseeable future, next year, next two years, somebody will say, Hey, I want to go work with these people. And so I'm relating, uh, actually on a weekly basis with a man, uh, from that group, that people group. And, and there's another man that also just trying to keep that friendship alive so that when somebody does show up and say, here's my friend or here's somebody I work with, he would like to go work with you in the same way that I've been relating to you. And they can just take off where I left off. And go from there. Um, so that's just one example of what we're what we're involved in. I think the the, the third thing that that we've been involved with is is rather in, in a rather informal sense. But we looked at all of this and we said, really, what we need in Colombia and and even in Brazil to a certain extent is pockets of places that really aren't that far away. By the way. Let's say, by the way, an airplane would fly, but it is very far away from the way travel works. Number one, air travel is difficult because of the drug trade. It's 
you, it's it's more difficult anyway because the government is trying to to keep keep some of that under control. They actually work with it too, but it's confusing. Um, the the third thing was that so to have pockets of of teams working in communities where maybe maybe there's a translation needed maybe not but maybe it's a connection to the place where we can't go to where we can hopefully make a connection there and so that third thing is this that over the last well over the last years not just the last year or two but it's been picking up there's been some couples family or single person they've come to spend anywhere from a month to three four months as sometimes their first time out of the country sometimes not but the first time of really concentrating on what does this look like to live in a place like this as i entertain lifetime mission and so they have that opportunity to to be with us um learn the same things we're learning and and uh, go back to the States with a much better understanding of what I need to prepare for. So that's kind of the heartthrob of, of our family is to help people um, start to think about what they really need to prepare for so they can go back, come back more prepared to stay uh, long term. Um, so those are sort of the three categories that we're involved in as a family. <clears throat> And in some ways, I think that kind of brings us back to to what maybe I would like to leave you all with this morning. Could we go to Philippians 2? <clears throat> I've been really processing this thing of where in Scripture, and it's all through Scripture, do we have people that have crossed cultural barriers and done what they could to soften that so that the gospel could be more effective. Who do we have better than Jesus Christ himself? Philippians 2, I'm going to read verses 1 through 8. If there be any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And now we're starting to really get into it. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. So we have here Jesus in heaven experiencing the world or the, yeah, world in the, con, in the in the definition of of sphere of understanding and experience of being with God 
and being God and knowing what that's like. And, and he still was God the whole time he was here. But he said, it says he took upon him the form of a servant to be in likeness of man to communicate to you and me who God is. And that's so precious to me in, in John 1 about Jesus is the word because he is the communication to me about who God is. And he was a, hun, a completely God when he was here. But we have other, we have human examples in scriptures, but what better example do we have other than Jesus Christ himself leaving something that he was very familiar with and then coming and identifying with a people, with you and me, in order to communicate who God is to us. Maybe we trip up sometimes on the word culture or, or fancy words in missiology and in worldview and some things like that. But basically, what it all boils down to is that you and I have habits and ways of doing things that either can help the gospel or they can hinder the gospel. And it becomes extremely imperative that we think about what is a habit that I really could give up because it's obnoxious and what is a habit because I'm a Christian and I'm trying to be a habitual believer walking in the steps of Jesus Christ okay why is that important number one and the things we often hear and I 100% agree with it is because we don't want to go to a place and we say well That's okay because they've always done that and I think you can do that and still believe in Jesus Christ and then you start to accept things. You have what's called syncretism, a mixture of beliefs. Okay, We can't have that. We've seen that. It's all over the world and it's all over Colombia. But there's a second reason why it's incredibly important and that is this. When I present the gospel along with my habits that are not rooted in Scripture... Maybe it's something like, can I say, canning peaches? Or, or something, what's a better example? Something about the way that I do a physical task that really doesn't matter. If I hold on to that, and I almost act like the gospel relates to that, they're going to reject that. Like, that's not the gospel. And so then they throw out everything. And they walk away from the gospel because of my obnoxious, sometimes pride, sometimes selfishness. So I thought about those two things, humility and unselfishness and how imperative that is. You don't you don't have to come up with fancy words about how to study culture. And 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 some of that is good. And I've read lots of books and I encourage reading about people that have done things before. But it boils down to being Christ-like in my daily life. Being humble. Being unselfish. Jesus, He suffered. He sacrificed to identify with these people. Now, before we... We've been talking about missions, but I really wanted you to think about is 
your neighbors, your own, sometimes your own family, your own church brother? What about my habits and my ways of relating to people? Can I sacrifice something so the gospel can be communicated more effectively? Now, when it comes to trying to understand other people and how they think in an effort to reach them for the gospel, I think those two things are incredibly important. Humility and unselfishness. And obviously, that's all packed together in just a love and compassion for other people, as Christ would have. I read, actually more than once, um, a man, I think it was in the context, at least it wasn't in the context of of Christianity, in the context of maybe business, is pushing for excellence. He said, my goal is not to be right all the time. My goal is to become less wrong. Now, I don't know if that's a good way to think about my Christian life. In some ways it is. But it's definitely a good way to think about my sensitivity to other people and how I interpret what they're saying and what they're doing. We make mistakes. And we need to accept that and be humble about that. But I want to be less wrong as I go through life in how I relate to other people. Become aware of how important um, language acquisition is. And probably probably various ones of y'all are bilingual. I was not. I was... I was not bilingual until several years ago. And so there was concepts related to how people think that I never thought about simply because of that. I'd never learned a second language until I was almost an adult. But I want to tell you this just just to help you think about how important it is to understand what people are communicating when you try to communicate the gospel. So, So you want people to understand what you're going to say, right? But what's more important than people understanding what you're going to say when you're communicating the gospel? Now, before I tell you this, I want you to also think about in the context not only of learning another, you know, language like French or German or Spanish, but also just simply in the languages of communication between you and the other person that speaks your own language. Are you really speaking his language or aren't you? Are you communicating in a way that he can understand what you really, the heart of God? Let's say it that way. You're really communicating in a way you can understand the heart of God. So a very, and maybe you've heard this before, it's, it's come from some story that through all nations, Bible translations, it could be it was published somewhere, I'm not sure. But this, I almost think it was a woman translator. She, she had spent years learning this language and she finally got to translate the first verse of the Bible. And it read like this in a back translation. In the beginning, God created the world about 20 years ago. And I saw him do it. <laughs> How did that happen? <laughs> so, in this particular language, there was a tense, a past tense that she had never figured out yet. That meant generations and generations back before I ever was. Okay? So all the past tenses she was familiar with 
was a more recent past tense. So she used that. That was the one mistake. In this language, every verb, you cannot say something, you can't speak something. Every verb carries with it an ending that says that you were there and you witnessed it or you just heard about it. Okay? You know, just like we put... um, we don't really have anything like it, but we put ed at the end of a verb to make it past. You put another letter, another sound on the end of the verb to say that I was witness to that fact. And she didn't realize that. And so she put that in there. I have made many stupid mistakes in communicating to people. We all do it when we're trying to learn another language. But it becomes very important to do it right when we're communicating about the Bible. Christ, I don't know if we can say it this way, but in our human perspective, Christ figured out how to communicate the heart of God to us. Am I willing to figure out how to communicate the heart of God to my neighbor to my own family member. I want to say this yet, as we think about communication, because it's not only about words and getting your conjugations or your words to say what you really meant it to say. Um... When, when I talk to you and you talk to me, we hear each other in the context of our previous understanding. And so we interpret according to that. I'm going to do this real quick. And I'm going to really simplify it. And you can imagine what it would be if we would make it uh, bigger. But I'm going to draw a grid of four blocks. And so in the course of life, or in the course of months, years, we start to develop a picture of what this block looks like. And how shall we do it? Let's, let's draw, let's, let's say we're going to draw a butterfly. So we kind of got in that part of the concept of a butterfly drawn in. You can see how that could look reasonable. And we're working at just continuing to talk about it as it's being interpreted this this wing got flipped or or it got um or you could also say that maybe maybe it'd be better to actually say that that we were going that we meant to draw the bottom right wing but somehow the person that was listening put it up here and, and I don't think I'm going to continue to draw, but you can start to get the concept, right? That as the listener is listening, he's continually putting information in to these parts of what he already understood. And then he starts to adapt it. Hopefully, he can come back and start to erase this. He's like, wait, that didn't fit there. That fit down here. And then he can start to turn out. But that doesn't always happen. And they start to have a very construed understanding of Scripture. Now... Let's let's make this simple. 
And, and I'm going to end with sort of where we started out. As he is, so are we in this world. So, a couple years ago, we were in a little community called La Pedrera. And we were staying in the home of Luis Fernando and Monica Tanimuka. And it was actually the same people group that I was talking to you about. She said this, and it always has stuck with me ever since. She said, we have people that come in here and talk about the gospel and then they leave. In fact, they had somebody from their, their own people that was sent out of town to go to a Bible institute and came back. And he was keeping, he was supposedly a Christian, but he was hoarding the Bibles that were given to him in the partial translation that did exist. And I'm not sure what he was trying to exact out of people to get the Bibles into their hands, but it was selling them or something. And he was almost always drunk. Okay, so that's the context. She said this. And and, and I'll leave it with this. She said, We need people not to come and tell us about the gospel, but we need people to come and live the gospel so we can see how it is. As he is, so are we in this world. May God bless you.